0: We're in a vacuum that all of us throughout the course of our life this is obvious, I said it was obvious, is that a human a certain human situation. We're of a certain age. We have a particular network of relationships. We are in particular circumstances and it's in all of this that we contact the Lord live the Lord find the Lord experience the Lord Paul could rejoice very much in the Lord in the Lord's bountiful supply but he was not in a retirement villa outside of Rome He was in some kind of imprisonment with manacles on him. Prior to that, he was in a boat with over 270 others. Then he was in the water where he had been a number of times before. Shipwreck 101, 102. We mentioned this in 2 Corinthians. Then he's on the island of Malta. Always The Lord lives in us in the midst of situations. And this is a fellowship without clearly defined age limits for a group known as young adults. So you're adults, but not quite in the way that Brother Benson and I are adults. We are not young adults, and you are young adults. You are not yet in the most complex of your human situations. This is ahead of you. When you're in middle age, and if you have kids, they're now teenagers, going to the orthodontist, having surgery on their jaw to repair the jawline, you're paying for or helping them pay for car insurance, you're concerned about their college education. Then you enter into the period of maximum outward complexity. When you pass through that, as I have, you will begin, as I am about to begin, a period of inward complexity when you realize your human situation, now as an older person, it's different. The truths are the same. The truths are universal. The Lord is the same. But He comes to us as the Spirit. And He comes to us as the Word in our exact particular human situations. And tonight... He wants at least four things from us. He wants these things from me, someone who is bidding farewell to middle age. He wants these things of you who are in the category of young adult. The principles are the same. The revelation is the same. But the application by the Spirit, in the body, will be very personal, particular, specific, definite, and concrete. That is why we all need to pursue the Lord in a loving and affectionate way, open to Him, present ourselves to Him, Enjoy him. Be one with him. Because at any given time, we will be in yet another of these definite, specific human situations. So here's my brother Ryan. Are you still at Building Eight? Your third year? Yeah. The Lord measures that out to him. May the Lord bless you in your labor. I'm in another building when I'm on the campus, but as I pointed out intrinsically, we're doing the same thing. So what I will present to you, (coughs) the four matters I will share with you, what they will mean to you and how they will impact you depends on the Spirit and on you. So my job is really simple. If I call it a job, let's just say my portion rather than a job, is just to follow the anointing within and to share the Word of God with you, looking to the Lord that He would dispense Himself into us. Then it's up to the Spirit and it's up to you what the application will be, what the impact will be. For some, they could be unexpectedly drastic and enlightening. For others, it just may be a gentle watering for now with perhaps delayed impact to come. So I appreciate wherever we are in our human situation, we're not exempt from the human needs and problems and challenges of that stage of life, Brotherly eventually became a very elderly man. And then he became a very ill elderly man. And that is where he lived the Lord. That is where the Lord lived in him. That is where he experienced him. And that is where he applied as he always did, the matters I'll present to you. So the content is not young adult specific, as if I have some kind of insight into the young adult psyche and can tailor make a portion of the ministry that will fit. Uh, That is a human approach. That is not the ministry of the Spirit. The first matter is to seek first the kingdom of God. And the Lord did not talk about this without a human situation. It's not only Matthew 6.33... As a context of verses before and after. The Lord speaking is addressing a situation of anxious seeking among the whole human race. He says in verse 25, Do not be anxious for your life. Then he says, In verse 31, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Verse 32, for all these things the Gentiles are anxiously seeking. That's the situation. I don't want to distract you by this illustration. But the whole country is in turmoil now in August over health care reform. And you have politicians advocating and you have people protesting and you have some saying the whole thing is organized. You have others saying there's some amount of that. There's anger. There is fear. There's anxiety. It's an exhibition of the wheel of anxiety driving the whole human race. What will will happen to Medicare? Will my employer go off the, the private plan? Everybody's anxious. Except the Lord Jesus. Here he is. He needs something to wear. He needs something to eat. He needs transportation, although I don't other than riding on the donkey one time it seemed that he had a simple form of transportation that was walking. He needed a place to stay on any particular night because he was human. Yet he wasn't anxious. Are you anxious? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? The Lord said, Your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things but seek first His kingdom. Simple words. The but stands in contrast to the whole age in which we're living. Whether it's the price of gas, whether it's will the spending bring about inflation, What about this? What about that? The Lord lives in a different way. And He charges us to live the way He did. By Him living within us, we know from the epistles. And He told us to seek. Are you a seeker? What are you seeking? And what are you seeking first? The Lord said, Seek first. That's His word to you. He was only 30 in his 30s when He spoke this, He was talking to young adults if we can make a little application here. Some of them, like Peter, were married where the wife was. Hard to say. And the Lord is saying, don't be like everybody else. All the Gentiles are anxiously seeking. Don't you know you have a father? You have a father in the heavens. And He knows that you need all these things. He knows what you need. But you seek first His kingdom. To seek it. Not simply accept it. But to seek it. The Lord covers me to say as I boast in His mercy, not in my situation. I seek the kingdom of God with my whole being all the time. First. That's why I'm mobile. That's why I could migrate. That's why I guided my family in a certain way. That's why I managed my finances in a particular way. Seek the kingdom first. But this raises the question, or if you're a logician, begs the question. That means it leads to another one. What does it mean to seek the kingdom? What are you seeking when you seek the kingdom? Well, the answer to this would take us way beyond tonight's fellowship. It's to seek God because the kingdom is God Himself. It's to seek Christ Jesus who Himself is the kingdom in our midst, is to seek the Spirit. Because if I cast out demons, the Lord said, by the power of the Spirit, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom is the triune God. The kingdom is the realm of the divine life which we enter by regeneration and which we live by the sense of life. The kingdom is the church life. The kingdom is living under the direct rule of God in your spirit, in the reality of the kingdom of the heavens, a life of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is being one with the Lord in His move. And to seek the kingdom also implies you do not love the present age. You want another age to come. You want this age to end. You want the Lord Jesus to return. You want human government to be abolished. You want all money and currency and trading to be permanently annulled. You want Jesus to come back and set up His throne in Jerusalem And reign on the earth for a thousand years. You seek this. You seek God himself. The triune God. You seek the life of God. You seek to live under the rule of God. You recognize the kingdom is a realm of life. Governed by the principle of the tree of life. It's the divine and mystical realm. It's the kingdom of the Son of God's love. It's a realm of incredible enjoyment. It's a realm of light, of love, of peace, of building, of shepherding. It's a totality of the divine life with all of its activities. And I'm not about to be drawn out by the price of a gallon of gasoline. And I'm not about to be upset if cap-and-trade goes into effect and the middle class as always gets gouged with $3,000 more energy taxes. I don't like it, but I'm not going to be drawn out by it. I don't care whether the Dodgers are winning or losing. I don't know I don't care what the Angels are doing. I'm not affected by the stock market. I have needs like anybody my age. But I have a father, a real father. And he knows at any given moment what I need. And when I'm one spirit with the Lord, seeking the kingdom in the ways I've sketched, somehow the needs are met. Vincent, I've just been musing a little bit more on the move to Houston 40 years ago. That couple stayed with us for six weeks. They were in Denton. And I remember when he came home to let us know the decision that had been made with the brothers toward the end of that training on the Psalms, Christ House, City, Earth. And those dear saints from at least three locations in Texas moved to Houston in August. And they all had a place to stay. They all had something to eat. They all got some kind of work I didn't detect any anxiety in them. They sought the kingdom first because for them at that time to seek the kingdom had a name, Houston. Houston. If you're one with the Lord in His move, you're seeking the kingdom first, then you move like within days, within weeks, circumstances permitting and sometimes you have to kind of encourage them to permit that's the practicality of seeking first the kingdom and 40 years ago that church was established a glory to the Lord a shame to the enemy it will take eternity to measure what has flowed out of that church in Houston. So what does it mean for you to seek the kingdom first in your situation? I know you have needs. You're single. You need to be married. You need to finish your your education. You're in debt. You're maxed out on this card. You use another card to pay the minimum on that one. You have needs. No one is denying that. It's nothing to be ashamed of. But are you a Gentile? Are you the same as the unbelievers? Driven by anxiety? Or are you one of these people where Brother Needs Him says, The earth watches in solemn wonder as you seek the kingdom first. They are mystified and they're attracted and they're convicted all at once. Here is a person, a real human, not a strange human, a real human engaged in age-appropriate activities with those needs but he's not anxious. When the Lord illustrated about letting your light shine before men to glorify your Father, He said no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. He used a Greek word that was at that time signifying a unit of measure of grain. The modios. Indicating that it was the fear, the anxiety over the economic situation which stifles the Lord's expression, which frustrates it. You light a lamp, but no one would know it, no one would see it, no one would be illuminated by it because it's hidden under the bushel. But there is this wonderful person Who knew what it was like to work with his hands as a carpenter. Don't you believe he was a good one? Don't you believe he was diligent and fine and thorough in his work? He was the oldest of at least seven other children. At least seven children. The Bible mentions his four brothers. And the Catholics are lying when they say they were cousins. They were brothers. And he mentioned sisters, and it seems they usually outnumbered the brothers, so there he was. He didn't have my space, he didn't have much space, didn't have his own room, didn't have his own vehicle, grew up in poverty, worked with his hands, but he had no anxiety because he had a father and he lived him by the living father. And then when he ministered and called the seekers, this wasn't a word principally to the multitude. He said, don't be like the Gentiles. You have another life with another nature. There's another person that will be living in you. Seek first. It would be good to remind yourself of this in any given day. It's good, and this will bring us to the next point, to consecrate to the Lord. I gave a message to the training on this. I pray about this every day. But there's a sense when we consecrate, we are saying, I'm separate from the Lord. I'm not already His. So I need to give Him something. There's something higher and this will be our next point where you realize that I'm already His. I'm already one with Him. I can continue to pray. I consecrate this day. I'll do it tomorrow. But not in the sense of, Lord, I have this. Now I'm going to give this to you. I have this time. It's mine. But I give it to you. I have this amount of finance. It's mine. But I'm noble. I give it to you. The next point is higher than that. That is not being for the Lord. It's living to the Lord. In which we realize... We're already his. We're already one with him. And we need the verses on this point, and they're in two portions. The first is from Second Corinthians five. For the love of Christ constrains us. Because we have judged this that one died for all. Therefore, all died. And here's the point, And He died for all that those who live may no longer live to themselves, but to Him who died for them and has been raised. This verse gives us a particular reason for the Lord's dying. He died... So that those who live will live differently. Before his death and before their realization of his death, they lived to themselves. The self was the principal object. The needs were king. The problems were Lord. They were the center. They were the goal. They live to themselves and the self is inclusive. It includes anyone or anything related to yourself. So I lived to McKinsey High School in Detroit because I went there. I didn't live to Cody High School because they were the enemy as far as, or at least an adversary. So we all have a network of persons and things that are really extensions of the self. And all the fallen people live to themselves. But the God-man Jesus died that those who live may no longer... You know, it might be good, but don't take this literally. Although if you did, it may not be bad. I don't mean it literally. To have some very terse statements in view one is seek first seek first on the visor of your car or maybe on the remote or on the back of your cell phone or on the going out of phase pocket PC seek first another one is no longer so, I'm not interrogating you, but I'm your brother serving you. Is there a no longer written on your heart? If I were to fellowship with you for three or four minutes after the meeting, would I sense a no longer? A no longer in you? Something has been settled permanently, it's embodied in the words no longer. There's been a drastic change. My testimony to my co-workers is this. I live to myself just like you. I live to myself just like all the ungodly in Southern California. But something happened and now my middle name is no longer. No longer. I work here just like you do. I have to pay for gasoline just like you do. I've got some feeling about the health care matter just like you do. But I'm a no longer person. Living a no longer life. Sorry for this recollection. The Beatles had this song a generation ago. He's a real nowhere man. Living in his nowhere land. Well, I'm not a nowhere man. I'm a no longer man. No longer. I mean it. At a certain point, and I was already in the recovery, everything was to myself. My wife was to myself. My education was to myself. The church was to myself. God was to myself. Everything to the self. Then something happened and there's the no longer, no longer live to themselves, not for themselves, that's too shallow, but live to him who died for them and has been raised. We live to a crucified and resurrected person. And I've been considering this off and on for years. I still can't define it. What does it mean to live to the Lord? I can only approximate it. And I reconsidered Brother Lee's ministry on this this afternoon and it seems that's what he did. It's indefinable. It implies I belong to the Lord. So I don't do anything for Him. I don't give anything to Him. When I wake up tomorrow, my life is the Lord's already. The day is planned by God already. God's sovereignty has arranged the situation already. When I say, Lord, I consecrate this day to You, which I will say it's with the realization I'm not giving You something that is not Yours. I'm acknowledging everything is yours. I'm not suggesting how you should live your married life, those of you who are living one. But my wife, let's just say when it comes to finance, she doesn't have to ask me for anything. If there's some money here, there's some money in this account, I hope she would realize it's all to you. It's to you. Everything your husband is in the context of marriage is to you. You don't have to beg for anything. You may appropriate it. You may apply it. It's to you. Lord, I'm not here doling out things to you that are really mine and I condescend, I deign to give them to you As if I were the possessor of this, and I offer up something that's mine, and what I don't feel like offering up, I retain. There's the realization of a no longer. You don't have to ask my permission, Lord, for what you do, for what you allow to happen. For how you will touch any member of my family. For how you will care for my health. For my finances. For my service. You don't have to consult with me. There's a no longer. I call heaven and earth to witness. All the positive angels. The evil angels. The demons. The evil principalities. There's a no longer... In my being, I'm no better than others. I was more selfish than they. Sought more glory for myself than you could ever imagine. But someone died. Someone resurrected. And then the love of Christ comes to constrain. And then we make a determination. We make a judgment. We're all dead. We no longer live to ourselves, but to Him. A parallel passage is in Romans 14. Again, in a very particular context of the church life in its generality with some who are vegetarians and they just will not eat meat And others are carnivores. They like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and other places. And they're convinced that they can eat anything. Some have feelings about a certain day. So they want that, they consider that day special. And someone else says, To me, every day is the same. That's the context of the actual situation of generality in the church. And then Paul says this in Romans 14. For none of us lives to himself. And none dies to himself. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. And whether we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. There's a hymn. You might might have never read it. You might have never sung it. It's a lovely hymn, 504. Jesus, I live to thee. The loveliest and best. To live to thee is bliss to me. To die is endless rest. Living or dying, Lord, I know not which is best. Here is someone who had light to realize. I'm the Lord's already. Everything is His. Everything has been offered. Now I would be one with Him. In my human situation, which is working, which is taking care of children, which is reading Curious George Flies the Kite to a smart little girl who has memorized the book. But you try I love this illustration. You try to skip a page because you're bored, then she will nail you on it. Because it's not about Curious George, it's about you and her and what she senses when she spends time with you. We're all in a situation like this all the time. We're in traffic. Someone literally ripped off, you know, the, the sticker from my license plate. I should have followed my wife's advice. When you get the, the New Year on it, take a razor blade and, and, and cut it into pieces. But, you know, a man needs mercy to follow his wife's advice, you know. He also needs to be humbled. And so mine was stolen and I had to go to the DMV. Isn't that a lovely place? And get in the line like everybody else. I can't say I was robbed. I shouldn't have to be in the line. I'm a Godman. man. God men don't do lines. I'm there like everybody else. And one thing... I don't want to get into the mode of psychological regret because that's of no spiritual benefit. But I hope this would hit you. I have lost tens of thousands of short opportunities to live Christ. You know, if you're almost 70, how many days is that? How many hours? How many minutes? How many situations? How many people who don't budge when the red arrow turns green and you're the seventh vehicle behind? They don't budge and it's truly red when you get there. You can't lie to say it was in between. Now you have two minutes and 15 seconds. What will I do? Lose two minutes here. Lose 30 minutes here. Lose this situation. Lose that situation. You lose a day. You lose a month. You lose a year. You lose a decade. When the Lord is always coming to us, always living in us, in exact particular situations, all the time. When I was a young husband teaching in a very challenging multiracial school environment in the San Fernando Valley and having perhaps the most challenging students. When I came home, I realized the first thing I must do is set up my antennae to find out what's the situation. How is it with the kids? How is it with the wife? I wish I could say, I spent the 43 years that I've been in the Lord's recovery, one with the Lord, living to the Lord. I can't say that, but I can say there's a no longer now. A no longer. We like this song. It's a lovely melody. Don't be bothered by my playing it, playing with it a little bit. Life is full of opportunities. Ordered by the Father's hand we see. Everything's the best that it could be. So let's waste the opportunity. Lovely song. But life slips away. And opportunities slip away. Until there's a no longer in you. And you realize. Lord I do not live to myself. If you give me tomorrow. I will live it to you. If you give me tonight. I will live it to you. None of us lives to himself. Brother Lee did not live to himself. And some of us spoke to him at the very end. In the privacy of his room when about the only faculty remaining was hearing, and we spoke from our heart to Him, He died to the Lord. He lived to the Lord. He died to the Lord. When He lived, He was the Lord's. When He died, He was the Lord's. So here we are, or here you are, young adults, young adulting all day long, In the midst of what is more often than not a rather dull and boring and repetitive and unexciting and unadventurous existence. That's our life. We really do need to be revived in the morning. To receive a fresh dispensing of grace. And just simply live to the Lord. Daniel did this. Daniel was obviously a very intelligent young man. That's one reason why he was taken to Babylon and why he and his companions were singled out for an intensified education. And throughout the reign of the Babylonians, he was in civil service. The Persians came in. He continued. He was at the very top of government service. Next to the king. He had the most responsibility. And you know the story of how the king was duped into signing an edict that couldn't be revoked because there was no longer absolute power. That was with the head of gold. Now there was some limit on the monarchy. Don't pray. Don't let anyone pray for 30 days. Daniel prayed as usual. And the king tried to rescue him from the lion's den. And the king cried out with wailing, Daniel, servant of the living God. And then the king came in the morning, Daniel, has your God whom you serve continually rescued you? Then he heard Daniel's voice. What a testimony. He couldn't spend his hours pray reading Jeremiah. He pray read Jeremiah and prayed the prophecy of Jeremiah concerning the 70 years. He was a faithful, civil servant functioning at a very high level. But the king's estimation was You're a servant of the living God. You serve Him continually. And when Brother Lee released this in volume 8 of the elders' training, he identified for the whole recovery what it is to be full-time. He said, if you think to be full-time means you have a job, and now you leave your job and you devote your time to the Word and to the church, the ministry... The work, he said that is a fallen concept from degraded Christianity. To live, to be full-time is to live to the Lord. A brother who went to be with the Lord in 1985, Samuel Chang, was one of the elders in Eldon Hall. There were three other elders at the time. They were also co-workers that were devoting their full-time to the work. Brother Samuel felt to keep his job. And to he worked in a lab. And he gave this testimony. There was a certain allocation of work given to him for the week. This is what you're expected to do. This is what you should produce. He did it in three days. And then he said, the Lord made me clean up the lab. This cleaning <clears throat> all the facility, as if I were a janitor. You didn't get to meet him. I hope you meet him in the kingdom at the latest in the New Jerusalem. When he's talking to you and you to him, <clears throat> and he didn't have a lot of words, so it was usually very brief and direct, you realized this man is a priest who's been praying for us all. His being is saying, I pray for you. While I'm cleaning, while I'm working as a chemist, while I'm doing my job outwardly, I'm living to the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. I pray without ceasing. I bring the whole church with all the saints. Even He said once, if a little child has a fever, you should suffer with it. He bore the children. He bore the infants. He bore all of us young brothers. He lived to the Lord. That is a full timer. We need no longer written in our being. We need to be enlightened to see because I don't want you to misunderstand and fall into a legality. We're not simply saying, Lord, I consecrate this to you. We may or may not use those words. The point is, I recognize it's yours. I will say, when I reach a certain age before too long, I will say, this is a milestone, Lord. I give you the rest of my life. But actually, I'm acknowledging it's already yours. My physical body with all of its organs is yours. My marriage, my family, everything I own, all of my relationships, everything I do, all of my service, it's already yours. I wouldn't have it any other way. Now I would be one with you and live to you. This fellowship is for you but it's to Him. I hope you would be influenced. I hope there would be a seeking in you. That you wouldn't assume you understand this, that you would go to the Lord and you would pray about a no longer. We're all going to be in a particular human situation until the end. You'll have kids and you'll learn something from the first one and then the second one is so different from the first that you've got to start all over with the second. And then by the time the third comes, you don't, know, you don't know what you're doing because the third, at least in my case, was the mystery man. Okay, okay, he's a kangas, but how do I care for this kind of kangas? <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm a grandpa. And when I'm with my grandchildren, I'm in a very human situation. And we talk in a, in a human way, right there with them. I would live to the Lord. I'm looking for a time. It's not the time. There'll be a time when I believe I will take them aside one by one. And tell them what I'm about to tell you. Please remember all of your life. I have prayed for you every day since before you were born. And I'd like you to know your grandpa lives to the Lord. And your parents are learning to live to the Lord. This is what it means to be full time. If, if you don't have the heart to live this way, I don't understand you. There's just this huge gulf between us. What other way is there? I'm not going to seek. I'm not going to be drawn into the debate about health care. I have a father. I'm not superstitious, but I have a father. And he will take care of me Until the last moment of the measured time. I'm not looking, my God is not in Washington, D.C. And he's not in the Oval Office, he's on the throne in the third heavens. And now, because he died, his son, and lived again, and came as constraining love. There's a no longer. See how this will be applied? I would ask you don't apply it yourself. Self applications just waste time. Self realizations about what the word is spoken is a frustration. Let the Spirit apply. What does it mean for you to live to the Lord in your situation? I believe that in the months to come, as some are living to the Lord, they will realize something. The Lord to whom I am living doesn't live in California anymore. If I want to live to Him, I'm going to have to catch up to Him and live to Him where He is presently living. Many of us have had this experience. You live in a certain place. You go for some fellowship. This happened. I went to Irving, Texas, 1984. Brotherly asked me to come to his apartment. I thought we were going to talk about life studies. He said, how do you feel about Irving? Do you like it? I said, I like it. He said, how about you move here? How about you move here? So I hope... I'm forgiven for this by the native Texans. Eventually, I said, I'll live in Irving. I won't live in Texas. Anyway, I got over that. That's when you're still struggling. I went back to Anaheim. And it's like, I wonder, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't belong in this house. Living to the Lord... It's very practical. It's very specific. This is a living person. He's the resurrected God-man. He's the Lamb moving. And when you live to Him, you're just one with Him. And however He's living, you live that way to Him. And others do the same. You stay, He moves. He stays, you move. There's no movement. There's no human control. But there is a Lord. Then the two other points. And maybe <clears throat> we're sort of like having the long day of Joshua where the Lord is slowing down time. I mean, it's only ten after eight. It doesn't mean I'm going to go to 8.59. But it does mean I'm, I'm not about done. We come to the third matter and I'm not sure what will come out about this. And this is so ordinary. This is just so familiar. I'm not ashamed to say it, but I'm prefacing it. it. It is just so, so known. We need... To serve the Lord in the church. In a simple and pure way. When the Lord extricated me from Anaheim in 1984. And we moved there in January of 1985. I had this prayer. Because I had come out of a very complicated situation. In that Anaheim. Believe me. Intermixed and complicated and painful. That's why Brother Lee went his, on one of his last word of fellowship on that Saturday morning was, Ron, get out of Anaheim. I said, okay. That's about as direct as a word as I can ask for. When I got to Irving, I told the Lord this. I simply want to be faithful in my word. And live a simple and pure church life. I'm just here. And um, if you've ever been to the parking lot in Irving, there are these planters, oval-shaped planters. And I I signed up to, to take care of one with my wife. We'll cultivate it. We'll water it. But I never heard back from the service office about what planter I should take care of. And then someone was kind of criticizing me for not taking care of my planter. And then I got a call from a brother that I've known for 43 years. Every time I have contacted this brother. I have been shepherded by him every time. And uh, he's even less young than I am. And he's here serving in a particular way in Anaheim. He called me with such affection. He said, did you know that you had a planter and he knew that I didn't know which one it was. And then he, he told me. So simple. When I had been in the church life for only a few months, we had these service groups. you ever heard of them? Anyway, we had these service groups. And somehow I got on maintenance. And... As far as physical work is concerned, no problem. I did that from my youth, no problem. As far as ability to do anything, a big problem. <laughs> and so, the same brother called me. He was a deacon. He, he called me the fellowship something about the maintenance service. And he said this, he said this, The brothers realize you don't have much experience but you're a good worker. That meant a lot to me. May the Lord reward Brother Elton Carr with himself for thousands of instances of shepherding saints like this in the context of the practical service in the church. In that other Anaheim, the complicated one, the painful one. I had the feeling about serving in a certain way. So I went to one of the elders. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, you should do. And I said, I have some feeling to serve with the children. And he literally looked down his nose. You know, that was shaped somewhat like a Finnish ski jump ramp, you know. And and literally sneered at that and dismissed it. So I thought, okay. I had the burden to serve and I had the burden to serve the serving ones with the children. So I had to let it go. And then another person came to Anaheim and was taking more responsibility as an elder with the children. And he came to me. He said, would you have some burden to serve with the sixth grade boys? And would you also eventually have the burden to help develop the materials and to fellowship with the teachers so that they're governed by the principles that the church is following? And I don't know if it surprises you that for some years I served in children's meeting. I swept part of the parking lot outside the meeting hall in Irving. Once I found out what planter was assigned to me, I did something to maintain it. There's a verse, I know it's in Hebrews. might be in chapter 6. It says, God is not unrighteous to forget. You're ministering to the saints and you're continuing to minister. We might be surprised at who is rewarded when we're all before the Bema of God. I have no doubt that many of the prominent co-working brothers it wasn't their choice to be prominent. They lived to the Lord. Others that were prominent for another reason may not get anything. But a brother, the okay, honor to whom honor is due, a brother like George a one talented brother who has ministered in a practical and spiritual way to me so many times. The Lord may say, George, I have a record of all of your serving over all of those decades. You don't remember. On this day, you cherish this person. On this day, you prayed for this person. On this day, you ministered life to this person. In the midst of your practical service, you served me in the church. You know what Moses told Pharaoh when he was having one of his confrontations with him? He said, thus says, the God of the Hebrews. Let my people go that they may serve me. Just attending meetings isn't the prevailing testimony testimony that we have been released from Pharaoh. It's our serving. The nondescript may be unappreciated Practical service. I write outlines. I give messages. John Blatz repairs anything and everything in my rental house. In the sight of God is his service inferior to mine. Is mine superior to his? No way. And the Lord knows my heart in this matter. Oh, the preciousness of a serving spirit. A serving attitude. Of living to the Lord and then realizing one byproduct is no ambition. Aspiration may be that's of God. No ambition. I don't want to be anything. I don't want to have anything for myself. I don't want to be appreciated. The Christ who lives in me is the Jesus of the Gospel of Mark. The slave of God. The one who has was in our midst is one who serves. You're, this is the Christ I live to. You're not yet coming to reign in glory. This should be something for our whole church life. I can't recall the percentages Brother Lee gave one time about how much of the church life is in the service. Whatever it is. And it's a great mercy from the Lord to have the heart to serve, the Spirit to serve. Brother Lee told the story. <clears throat> I don't want to say in what church this happened. I mean, it was not too far away. And out of necessity, <clears throat> because of an upheaval, some brothers were brought into the eldership. And the dear wife of one of the brothers had a big dinner. To celebrate her husband's appointment to eldership. Too bad I wasn't there. I might have come in a a hairy cloak and said, Woe to you, sister. And woe to your household. Your husband has entered into slavery. The reward, the crown of glory is when the Lord comes. No crown of glory for your elder husband or for the wife of the elder husband. When he stands up to give the announcements, nobody listens. I'd rather give a message than give the announcements. Oh, oh, what splendor! That is my husband giving the announcements. Forget about it. You know, one of the things that will overturn 2,000 years of Christianity, one of the things that will shame the entire clergy laity system will be churches where everyone serves as a slave. According to their measure, according to their function, no high, no low, no inferior. No hierarchy. What a church. That's part of the God-ordained way. Then we'll wash one another's feet. We will shepherd one another. We will love one another. We will love one another's children. So Brother Lee told the elders through Andrew. You heard that story from Brother Ed. The, The elders were meeting. Andrew was about to join them. They wanted to... Here, if Brother Lee had a word, Brother Lee said, tell the brothers to love one another, that their wives should love one another, and love one another's children. What is this? How lovely. Now, the last point. And since I'm at the last point and it's 8.24 and we're meeting to 9, then methinks that there will be time Other things. And that's just fine. I feel fully released. Uh, I just want to cover this last point. And it's something I treasure. And it's something I can't live without. But I didn't discover this. Experientially. Until I was about. 57. <clears throat> and you're nowhere close to 57. So may my sharing this with you be used by the spirit to create a situation in your life. When you're experiential entering into this matter, will be much sooner than 57. Not even 47. Maybe not even 37. But it's not too late if you're 37. Come on. You're still 20 years ahead of me. What is it? The need for the Lord's blessing. And the proper expectancy of the Lord's blessing with the realization I cannot live and certainly I cannot minister without Your blessing. I don't know how it happened. I don't need to know how it happened. Somebody prayed. Someone in the heavens prayed. And someone in the body And it was a late afternoon on a weekday. I was serving in my office that was in at the training center in a room that was prepared for that purpose by brothers like Tom Dvorak, whose service is remembered by the Lord. And I just sensed the blessing flowing Just the blessing coming. And then was the realization. How I need Your blessing. How I pray for Your blessing. And I began to pray, not distracted by it, but including this matter in the prayers. Not for myself, merely. But Lord, bless me with Yourself. How can I minister? How can I serve without Your blessing? That the Lord covers me to say this. The Lord covers Brother Benson and the brothers in Texas. But from the time the Lord's recovery began there until... Now, the Lord's recovery in Texas has been under the Lord's blessing. And there's a factor for this. There's not a method, but there's a factor. And the main factor is the one accord among the brothers and the oneness of the church with the ministry. When I was in Anaheim, in the early 80s, I was being torn apart. I was a brother in the church. I loved the church. I served in the children's meeting in the church. I functioned according to my measure in the church. I loved and honored the elders in the church. And I was serving the Lord and serving brotherly in the ministry. And there was a literal partition in that meeting hall on Ball Road. And there were all kinds of complications. Then the Lord moved, and my wife suffered from this, directly herself, indirectly, to her husband's suffering. And then we moved, and now we're in Irving. I'm not exalting Irving. I'm testifying. What a difference. What a difference, Lord, in the atmosphere. No tension, no discord between the ministry and the church and the work. But a beautiful coordination. That kind of oneness is the factor on our part that brings in the commanded blessing. I don't think I need to say too much about this. I'd like to leave room for the Spirit to speak much more. I would just say this and then close. I think that's what's going to happen. But I've been surprised before. Blessing means you don't have much. And the need is immense. But the outcome is far out of proportion to the means that you have. Okay, There are 5,000 males that are hungry. Then there are women and children. And there are five loaves and two fishes. That's it. So the human calculation is what? I mean, how do you divvy that up? And, and what would it mean? The Lord received it. He broke it, but the key, the crucial thing is, he looked to the Father, to the source of blessing. And something happened. That those loaves and fishes fed all of those people, with much left over. I'm not trying to make a show of humility. I don't have two fishes. I might have a fish head and a tail and a couple fins. Not fins from Finland. Fins on fish. (laughs) And maybe a little bread. The need is immeasurable. Just immeasurable. But if you can touch the key, Don't look at what you have. And don't look at the need. Turn your eyes to the heavens. To the God of blessing. And just say, Lord, today may your blessing be here. For the sake of your economy. For the sake of the church in Anaheim or in Cyprus or whatever. Bless me. Bless my family. Bless my children. Bless all the families of the saints. Bless all the children of the saints. Bless the ministering brothers. Bless the leading brothers. Lord, bless your recovery. The Lord knows whether I pray about this verbally or not. I can't live I can't serve. I can't minister. I can't even be a person. Let alone a husband, a father, a grandfather. A co-worker. Whoa. A minister of the Word. Whoa. It all depends on the Lord's blessing. And I long that you would believe that your God and my God is a blessing God. The Bible begins and ends with blessing. I check this out. Genesis 1, God created everything, especially the male and the female. He blessed them. In Revelation 22, from verses 3, proceeding for three or four verses, You have the blessings in eternity in the new heaven and the new Jerusalem. I don't know how the Lord's move should go. I don't know how the work should expand. I don't know how the churches should do this or that. But one thing I do know. We need the Lord's blessing. Now I want to end this way. The Lord cover me and hide me even though I'm standing in front of you. May He cover me and hide me. Because as one learning to live to Him and to serve Him, I would like to pronounce over you the full eternal unlimited, infinite blessing of the process and consummated triune God on you and on everyone and everything related to you from now unto eternity. Amen. May, you are the, may you be the blessed young adults. May you be like Joseph That wherever you are working, that situation is blessed because of you. Oh, may the Lord bless you if I knew all of your names and if I had all the time. I just would like to be a Jacob. I'm not old enough at that point to release the full blessing. But I just would like to represent the Lord to you. He is the blessing God. And may your whole life be under His blessing as you seek first the kingdom of God, as you live to Him, and as you serve Him in the church. May it all be under His blessing. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge You as our beloved Lord of all. You are our lovely bridegroom. And we are your loving bride to be. Lord, we would let you live in us. Your kingdom seeking life. Lord, write, seek first the kingdom all over our being. May it be in every aspect of our living. Lord, shepherd us, please, in living to you. Not only for you, but to you every mother here, every professional brother here, every laboring brother here, everyone serving in any way, may we all live to You in the midst of every human situation. Lord, reproduce Yourself in us as the one who serves, as the one who washes the feet of His disciples. Lord, we just open our being to You to have such a heart Heart and such a spirit to serve seeking nothing for the self. And Lord, we look to You, triune God of blessing. Bless us all in every way and from every angle. Bless our tripartite being. Bless our families and bless our churches. Bless Your recovery. Bless the young adults all over the earth. May this word reach them all. Lord, raise up such a young adult generation in your recovery that would seek you first, live to you, and serve you under your blessing. Lord, you have spoken this. We believe this is your heart. This is your intention. And we thank you for giving us this prayer. Thank you for hearing the prayer that you have given And Lord, now we praise you for answering the prayer, for hearing the prayer. We just acknowledge we are yours. We are forever yours. We are one with you. Everything is to you. For this we worship and praise you for your mercy. That you would pluck us out of this crooked and perverted generation. That you would rescue us from this present evil age that You would visit us through the faithful brothers and give us the opportunity to be a fresh living generation to bear the ark of testimony until our beloved Lord Jesus comes back. Praise You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Glory be to the triune God.
1: I'm so thankful the Lord brought us all together, and I know you feel the same as I do, so thankful that we could have this word that our brother shared with us, and I hope it will be with us all our days. You know, uh, this meeting is being recorded, and I'm sure there's a number of young adults that are not here that you know. Uh, I'd like to see you share the, this word with them I mean, through the tapes or whatever you want to do. But anyhow, tapes will be available, and you can order them and, uh, for your own listening. And I think it'd be good to listen to this word again. Uh, I have to testify to you all, I have been greatly supplied and strengthened and helped by this word this evening. I would like to take a few minutes. Uh, you know, we we passed uh, out the sheets to you. Uh, those of you that were in the church in Anaheim last year, you know what these are. Uh, we met uh, once in the fall and once in the even, uh, in the spring to have fellowship together. We did that by having six different meetings on the Lord's Day uh, during the fall and in the spring by languages and and also by uh, with English we had to have do it by our districts but anyhow we had six meetings to cover all the young adults and over 200 uh, gathered together in those meetings I don't know how many we had this evening uh, we'll get a number here a little later. But anyhow, uh, I just wanted to remind you, and I know that some of you were not in those meetings and didn't, you didn't receive these outlines. But these outlines are what was covered in the, in the fall last year and the spring this year. Uh, this first one here, our goal to enter into the Organic Practices for Living and Overcoming Life. Uh, This was our fellowship uh, in the fall, and we enjoyed this this fellowship very much. uh, Twelve points. Uh, Having a scheduled living. uh, Having an upper room consecration. Having morning revival daily, and that is being revived every day. And reading the Word daily. And reading the ministry daily. And praying daily. And calling on the name of the Lord. Spending some time to pray. And joining with a companion or companions in prayer two or three times a week. Attending the district meetings, all the meetings, Lord's table meeting, prophesying meetings functioning in these meetings. Joining or beginning a group meeting and attending that meeting weekly. Preaching the gospel by visiting the saints. Taking two hours each week and also passing out gospel tracts. And then visiting other saints or inviting them into your home for shepherding. All these 12 points I hope that gradually, we can't just pick up all 12 points, I don't believe But gradually, we would become brothers and sisters living in the church life according to these 12 points. And I believe an overcoming one will live this kind of life. And anyhow, uh, I would like to ask you, if you uh, haven't seen this, Or if you have, to read through it again and pray over it even. Of course, in the fall, then our fellowship at that time was over two points. And the first one was over practicing prayer in groups of twos or threes. And I hope, brothers and sisters, that we all could find a companion that we could pray with at least once a week. Or maybe twice a week. Or even three times. One companion or two companions. That we can pray with together. By gathering together or over the telephone. Anyhow, saints, we need this kind of living in the church life. This kind of blending with one another. That we are just those that pray with our companion. Or our companions. Concerning everything related to God's divine economy and especially the Lord's move here in Anaheim. Anyhow, the second point we covered, if you recall, was on the matter of the gospel. And I hope that the fire is burning in us more and more concerning the matter of the gospel. The Lord wants to save people and gain them for the church. This is the Lord's desire and this is how He carries out His divine economy is that every one of us would preach the gospel of course to all kinds of people our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors you know anyone and everyone we just are those who open our mouths to preach the gospel and see people added to the church anyhow I encourage you all, uh, read through this again. And as you read through it, pray concerning it. Find some time that you can spend just a little time to do this. Well, I would like to, I had the intention if there was time also to share five points that I want to leave with you for your consideration. And I don't have time to to dwell on these, but I'd just like to read them to you. These are five points uh, that were shared with the uh, co-workers or some who are being brought in to labor as co-workers uh, just a few weeks ago. These five points. And I would like to just run through them with you in just a few minutes. And let you hear these five points. Uh, I hope these five points would become. Uh, the living of all of us young adults. It's not just for the co-workers. It's really for all the saints. But we fellowship them with the co-workers. But anyhow I'd like to repeat them. Uh, before we we leave out of here. This is to me. Five points that must be experienced and practiced by all of us. The first point that we shared was, is that we need to hand ourselves over to the Lord. We need a definite time with the Lord, brothers and sisters, where we hand ourselves over to the Lord That means we hand ourselves over to the Lord for the carrying out of his divine economy, for the building up of the church and our locality. We are no longer ourselves, but we, it's not just a matter of consecration. We used that word last fall, but I like to use the word which Watchman Nee said we need to hand ourselves over to the Lord. That means we take our hands off of our own lives. We are here for the Lord. And we have a transaction with the Lord in which we hand ourselves over to the Lord. Everything is the Lord's. Our family is the Lord. Our job is the Lord. We ourselves are the Lord's, and we live for the Lord, and we live to the Lord to carry out the Lord's divine economy. And I hope all of you would have a transaction with the Lord where you're before the Lord in your private room, not with your wife or your husband or your roommates, but you and the Lord and you just hand yourself over to the Lord, giving Him full access to every part of your being. You are just His, handing ourselves over to the Lord. And then, it's not that we are building up spiritual giants, but the picture we see in Ezekiel is four living creatures coordinated together and brothers and sisters I hope you would spend the rest of your life not just building up yourself individually in a spiritual way but building yourselves up with some other at least three other living creatures. In other words you have been brought into a coordination and you're living your Human life in the way of coordination. Nothing is individual anymore. You give up all individuality. You are just those who have handed yourselves over to the Lord and you don't live out your own life, but you live your life with others. We become living creatures on this earth blended together with others. And everything we do is carried out in the way of coordination. I can testify to you, brothers and sisters, that when I came into the Lord's recovery, 1964, this vision grabbed me, and I gave myself to it. I didn't want to live an individual life life anymore. I wanted to live a life in coordination, a life in fellowship, a life moving with others in everything that I did. And I've sought to practice this, you know, my whole Christian life, at least since I came into the Lord's recovery. Because we are not individuals here, brothers. We're a body. And we need to be blended together. And it doesn't matter if we're a little toe. Or, you know, we need the other toes. Or, you know, these two, I've got a lot of power in these two two together, but I have zero power when this one is by itself or this one is by itself. But when they're together, I've got a lot of power here. You know that. A lot of power. But separately, I have zero Y'all want to do you might scratch my ear. But otherwise, I can do nothing. Well, the Lord wants us to live a life of coordination, of blending, a life where we all serve together to carry out the divine economy. And then thirdly, brothers, I also set myself in this way, when I was young, right after I came into the Lord's recovery, and that was to follow the vision of the age that the Lord has given to our servants of the Lord that we are all are following. And the reason that we're here today and why we're gathered in this room, a vision was given through some brothers. And that became the ministry of this age for all the believers. Now, we have been brought into this ministry. And as we're living our life in a corporate way with all the other saints, brothers, the Lord must open our eyes to see the vision for this age. And also, we must be receivers and propagators of the ministry of this age. And praise the Lord under Ron and Ed's direction and all the seven feasts. What we hear there is just the ministry of this age. That is what is being released there. Well, brothers, we have to live and function according to this vision and also according to this ministry. There is no other way. Don't take another way. There's just, there is no other way. If there was another way, I'd go to that, I'd go there. But I found the ministry of the age. And I found the vision that that ministry has brought me into. And so have you. And brothers, I hope, and sisters, We always set ourselves. I I set myself this way when I came into the recovery 45 years ago, 1964, to follow this ministry. Well, that's, that's all I've been doing for 45 years. And I do believe this is the Lord's will and this is the Lord's way. Okay? The fourth item is that we would live a life hidden with Christ in God, a life hidden with Christ in God, Colossians three three. And we had uh, an outline that Ron did and spoke uh, in the itero uh, last spring, entitled "This: A Life Hidden with Christ." in God. Well brothers, we shouldn't live our Christian life with a lot of things producing some kind of fanfare or some kind of for our recognition or for our praise or glory. We don't live, we're not these kind of Christians on this earth. We're just here living a life that is hidden with Christ in God. And a person that lives this way, brothers and sisters, has roots that sink deep into the Lord. You know, you can do everything in an open way and carry out some spectacular things, but eventually that is all smoke and fluff. You know, it's nothing. It's zero. But with a plant... It sinks its roots deep into the soil and they're all hidden. But through the roots, there is the nourishment and the supply of life for the entire tree. Without the roots, there is nothing there. Everything dies. But because there is a hidden life, that becomes the supply, that becomes the enrichment It becomes everything to the tree. Well, the same to us, brothers. A life hidden with Christ in God has a life with deep roots, sinking into Christ, sinking into the triune God, making Him our everything. We live Him. He's our life. But this life also, it is hidden. No one knows we're living such a life as this. But us and the Lord know we're living such a life. This is not for man's praise. Right? This is for the carrying out of God's economy. And then, brothers, we need to live a life of the altar and the tent. And I like to particularly say this to all the young adults. Don't ever get set. Don't ever get settled. And don't get ever get yourself occupied where you can't follow the Lord. We need number one, just like Abraham. We need an altar where we've consecrated everything to the Lord. And then secondly, we live in a tent. What does that mean? That means we have no permanent dwelling. That means we're nomads. Right? That means we're pilgrims on this earth. That means we move all the time. You know, I don't know how many times Ron and his family moved. I know he was in Los Angeles, and I think, Ron, you went to Chicago. Did you ever go to Fort Lauderdale? No, I went, no we went to Detroit and then to Anaheim. Oh, Detroit. And then you went back to Anaheim. He moved his family all these times. It wasn't just him and, or him and his wife moving. Then he moved to Irving, right? And then you came back to Anaheim, right? Well, you know, brothers my testimony is it's a little different i i have moved with my family since i've been in the recovery at least 15 times to different cities i don't count the moves i made within the locality those are those don't count i got a lot of those moves but I've been privileged to move 15 times with my wife and my children. Of course, not all of them were because as um, my children got older, they eventually left home and I kept moving. But anyhow, brothers, I'm so happy that I got to live such a life. And my life, the average length of stay in a locality has been three years. You know, don't look at Ron and I, how many years we've been in Anaheim. Take an average of how many years we were in each place. I think Ron has some other places. I just know about these places. Uh, But anyhow, I can testify, I moved 15 times. And I just packed up my wife. I packed up my children. (laughs) Packed up myself. And just moved. Sometimes I had a job where I was going. Sometimes I didn't have a job. Later on, of course, I was full-time. But anyhow, uh, brothers, I hope, all you young adults. Brothers, how many are in the meeting tonight? What number? 187 saints here tonight. I hope we would have 187 pilgrims in the church in Anaheim out of just the young adults. We would have no permanent dwelling. All we would have is an altar and a tent. Don't live in a house that can't be moved. Live in a tent. Spend your whole life that way. I can tell you honestly, I'm ready to move again. This time I don't have as much to move. I don't have to move my kids. Just take my wife with me and I just go. Anyhow, brothers, all of us need to live a life of the altar and the tent. There's 187 in the meeting tonight. I hope that 187 of you would eventually... Leave Anaheim. Just go. All over the United States to spread (laughs) the Lord's recovery. All of you would go. You know, Brother Lee, in 1984, he spoke to the saints out here and he said 50% of the churches, the saints in the churches, should migrate. 50% 50% of the churches in California. And then he zeroed in on Orange County. And he said, well, I don't want to devastate you know, the church in Anaheim. He said, how about we give up 10% per year? In other words, he's getting his 50% another way. <laughs> Anyhow, Brother Lee's burden was that everyone would just go. Of course, as Ron said and shared, It has to be under the leading of the Lord. Some may stay, some may go. But in principle, all of us should live, not set and settle and occupy. And I hope that I will see nearly all of you leave Anaheim. I hope within a few years nearly all of you will be gone. And because you love the Lord and you're preaching the gospel you will leave all your fruit here. And you just go. Why wouldn't you go? Anyhow, I don't want to say too much. Anyhow, we're going to have a conference uh, over Labor Day weekend, and the whole thing is going to be on migration. So we'll say a lot <laughs> uh, during that time. Anyhow, brothers, I just... And then the sixth point. I had six, no, five. Brother Lee talked about digging a canal out of California or out of Orange County. Digging a canal that release would release the saints. I hope that you would join with all the co-workers to dig a canal out of Southern California. A canal that would release all the, all the dear saints. You know... This, the saints and the churches in Southern California have such a rich deposit. They've been under Brother Lee's ministry for years and years and years. And it is not just merely for the local church in that place that they receive such a ministry. But they received it that they could spread it throughout the Lord's recovery. And we do that by migrating. Anyhow, Uh, We'll say more uh, over the Labor Day weekend. But anyhow, saints, I'm so happy. We're uh, a little bit late here. But I'm so happy that we all came together tonight. And I hope uh, from the word that was released here, the Lord has spoken to you. I know he has spoken to me. And I hope, much fruit would be born by our gathering t- together. Thank the Lord. Amen. Could we pray just a few minutes, and we'll have a few announcements, and we'll leave.